Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back, everyone, to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm your co-host, Tom Nixon, and with me as always, or as usual anyway, my co-host, Jay Harrington. How you doing, Jay? Doing great, Tom. Nice to... Uh... Nice to be here with you and and have a chat. We're recording on a Friday, so I know that I'm excited for the weekend. I don't know about you. Yeah, yep. And I, I promise I have not gotten a head start on the weekend. So yeah. <laughs> well, I'm all here. Yeah, I got you. Okay, good, good. But I could be forgiven for, for uh, imbibing because I we have a topic today that I think is one part your wheelhouse and one part my wheelhouse. So one of my favorite topics is fiction and literature. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of your favorite topics is LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is, and I I do enjoy a good fiction book too. But yeah. uh, but I think you are you definitely have a more, um, I guess a a better taste for uh, for fiction than I do. Uh, based on I know we've talked about the books you've read, the ones I've read. I re- I read more of the books you pick up in the in the airport terminal, uh, as opposed <laughs> to as opposed to some of the ones I probably should be reading. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the uh, that was the English major in me. So I've kind of been trained to be that way. But I was actually thinking more in the context of uh, endeavoring to be an author, which is something I've done, uh, you have done. Uh, but me, a fiction author, you a nonfiction author. So I wrote a book in, I think, 2016, came out in 2017. And it was not an easy thing to do while I was running a business. But you wrote a post recently on LinkedIn that sort of delved into that topic more so in the context of how uh, the famous author John Grisham was able to to compartmentalize his writing time as he was writing his first novel while still being a practicing attorney, right? And some of the lessons learned and what was interesting and how this kind of circles back to your wheelhouse is this was a LinkedIn post that, forgive me, I hope you won't blush, but it sort of went viral. Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, at least for me, it did, right? Viral is a is a relative term, um, but for my content, uh, from you know what I've what I've done previously, certainly this was by far the post that had received more views, more reactions, more comments than any other I've done. So yeah, I guess I I guess I went viral in my little world. Yeah, well, so and if you would indulge the author in me and the aspiring LinkedIn aficionado in me, I thought we could use this post as a way to maybe go back and do sort of an autopsy on it. Um, maybe that's too macabre of a word, but to go back and look at what made that post work. Why that post? And it's not the only post that's been popular of yours recently, but that one in particular just really jumped off the LinkedIn page. So um, hopefully you've got a few notes and you can share with our listeners maybe some of the tips that either you consciously or subconsciously kind of just happened and it created this perfect storm. So can you start just by giving us some sense of if you're willing to share some of the, the vanity metrics that came as a result of this post? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and, and let me just start by saying, Tom, that this this post was one that I I almost didn't write because it, it actually um, and th- I think there's some lessons here. Uh, I it was it was written on January 1st, so I wasn't working that day. I happened to be in my front of, in front of my computer and I've been posting uh, mostly daily. I, I took some time off like over uh, the Christmas holiday, but um you know, I decided I was sitting at my computer. I'm like, let me just get something quick up on LinkedIn. Um, so, you know, it doesn't a high engagement post uh, 
it's sometimes just completely unexpected. You don't know necessarily what's going to resonate with your audience. Um, and this one was just one that I, I banged out quickly and it happened to, uh, for whatever reason, and we'll talk about maybe some of our thoughts around those reasons um, on today's episode, but uh, it just, it did take off a bit. So for, for perspective, um, it, as of today, at least I checked shortly before our episode, it's got about 104,000 views. Um, and you know, that's, that's based on, I don't, I don't have nearly that number of, of connections or followers. So that's an indication that the post certainly got out outside of my, um, ecosystem of followers or connections and was starting to be, uh, served to a great extent outside of that network to people, you know, or who are third, second or third degree connections. Um, in addition, it, I think it has around 1400 rea reactions at this point. Uh, the, so, you know, people hitting the like button, uh, and then also about 165 comments. Um, so those are the, those are the metrics. So basically, you know, a pretty, a pretty high engagement post, like you said, uh, at least from my standard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would think by most people's standards, maybe not the huge mega celebrities, but certainly something to, uh, to shoot for. What about just summarize if you don't mind. So you said you weren't going to write this post, but you end up do, you're doing it sort of almost on a day off, you know, January 1st, but summarize for people who didn't see it, what the post said or the, the ground that it covered. Yeah. So it, as you mentioned, it, it's about John Grisham, at least to an extent, at least that's how we, that's the story I tell. Um, and it's the story of John Grisham when he was a young lawyer, 30 years old, working at a firm in Mississippi, working 60 to 70 hours a week. And he always had a dream to write a novel. Um, and he basically, you know, was inspired by this, uh, inspired to write by this somewhat horrific story that um, he heard while in court one day in, in Mississippi in the DeSoto County Courthouse. And it it just stuck in his mind. And he imagined an alternative ending to that story, which was that, you know, the, the father of the young girl who was assaulted um, took things into his own hand uh, and, and essentially uh, would, would have gone and killed the perpetrators. And that's what his novel that he had in his mind was, was based on. Um, fast forward, that novel became A Time to Kill, his first novel, which um, ultimately became a huge success. Now, what's interesting about his story is, is more his process. So he had to fit time to write that book into his busy schedule. So as I, as I mentioned in the post, he would get up at 5 a.m. every day, hustle into the office, um, write longhand on a legal pad um, this story. And over the course of three years, he finally uh, finished his draft. And initially, you know, none of the publishers that he pitched it to wanted it. He eventually convinced a small publisher to publish 5,000 copies. And, you know, the, the sort of the rest is history, but uh, it really didn't become successful, that first book, until his second one, The Firm, came out. Now, what, what I used that story to do as a jumping off point was to make an observation that I had been noticing on LinkedIn. And this is kind of where, you know, the relevance of the post comes in for people, which is, you know, and, and I'll just read the first sentence of the post uh, because I think that'll give people some context. And I wrote, John Grisham was a practicing lawyer with a side hustle. And I've been observing on LinkedIn that I'm seeing more and more lawyers who are starting other aspects to what they're doing. They are becoming coaches, consultants, they're writing books, they're starting podcasts, they're creating um, online courses or creating membership sites. So 
that that trend that at least I noticed was um, something that I mentioned. And I wanted to kind of use Grisham's example as a way to say, hey, if you've got this side hustle in mind, use his example. You know, he he set a goal for himself. He was going to write at least one page every day. Um, he set a daily practice for himself. You know, he without fail, he would write, uh, you know, that page of his book every day. And he stuck with it. He got a lot of rejection. As I mentioned, the 28 publishers rejected the book, but ultimately he achieved success because he persevered and, and stuck with it. And then I ended the post with sort of a prediction, um, which was that 2021 would be the, be the year of the entrepreneurial lawyer. So that um, kind of sums it up, but we can break it down a little bit further, but maybe that's some groundwork, at least where we can start. Yeah, well, maybe the three chunks, as I see it, is you had a strong opening that not only contextualize it for your potential audience, which for you was attorneys, right? So you mentioned a famous person that everyone can relate to that was at one point a practicing attorney. And we all know how the John Grisham story ends is that he becomes this wildly successful author. So he turned a side hustle into uh, a career while working 60 to 70 hours at a law firm. So I think the, the opening sentence is a chunk. That's That was part of the reason. We can come back to that. Um, the middle chunk is that entire body of work that you talked about, the, the breaking down his process and how that could apply to a busy attorney today. And then the third was you left, the third chunk is you leave people with, a prediction that's worthy of conversation. Maybe comment, maybe uh, somebody might disagree. Maybe somebody might get inspired because they finally read this post and said, this is the inspiration I need to actually get this done this year. So was that intentional? And if so, is that how you tend to frame a LinkedIn post nowadays? Yeah, it's a, it's a common structure. So yes, it was intentional. Um, and it is a common structure that I use. So what, and, and just to give some further context, what we are talking about here is a, is a text post on LinkedIn. So the 1300 character posts that, you know, you, you have ability, the ability to write, um, this is not a, there were no links shared in the post. There was nothing but simple text. Um, short paragraphs, short sentences, simple words, um, you know, lots of white space. And so not a LinkedIn article too, to distinguish right. that as well. Right. Not a LinkedIn article. No, this is just a straight post. Um, and, and so that was that, but yeah, the, the, the structure itself, it, it's really, when you're writing a post, it's critical to have a strong opening. Um, you basically what's visible if you're not sharing a link with a text post is the first five lines of your post. So you want to, you want to start strong. It's like a headline in a blog post or an article, right? You, the, the same principle applies with your LinkedIn post. Your first sentence is your headline. So if you're not going to grab the reader right away, they're going to keep scrolling down their, their feed. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I, I tend to like to use stories uh, to introduce topics, um, to draw an analogy between a, a story, sometimes a well-known one. Um, obviously, Grisham's well-known, but sometimes the backstory is not. And given that my audience is lawyers, that's a, and he was a lawyer or is a lawyer, that's of interest to a lot of people. So use his story as a jumping off point to then deliver some takeaways. And then yes, with the closing sentence, try to engage people to leave comments or, or otherwise interact with the post. Um, so I think that that structure can work well for other people as well. Yeah, just off this post for a second, your post today really 
caught my eye and dragged me right in and I had to comment and I don't do that because I feel compelled to do it. I do it because you've brought up a good topic. So let me just read today's legend has it. A woman approached Pablo Picasso as he was painting at a sidewalk cafe. She asked him to sketch her. That's all I could see mm-hmm. at first. And then that goes on. You go on to tell the story and that he's, uh, you know, wants to charge her for it. Or she asks how much and he, quotes a price and she says well that only took you 15 minutes and anyways th- that led to a whole good conversation that's still ongoing now in terms of do you bill for your time or do you build for bill for value but coming back to this post so um can you talk through some of the dialogue um because you mentioned how many comments the post got uh i think about 165 170 can you talk through if there's any generalizations you can make about the nature of the comments? Was it what I described earlier in terms of, was it people either answering your question or responding to the prediction? Or was it somebody saying this post really inspired me? I've wanted to do a side hustle for so long, specifically write a book. What, what kind of responses were you getting? Yeah, it was, it was mostly the latter um, people expressing a sense that this inspired them in some way. So again, getting back to this idea that it, it perhaps is a real trend where lawyers are, are desiring to have some uh, professional endeavor maybe outside of or adjacent to the practice of law. And, and maybe, you know, right, it, it, didn't, it didn't hurt that it, this was timed on January 1st, where people sort of turn the page on a, on a year and are thinking about what's coming in the new year. And so, yeah, they're definitely, I'd say the bulk of the comments were related to this idea of, you know, this is inspiring. I've been wanting to do X, Y, or Z. They ran the gamut. There were a lot of different, quote, side hustles that people were thinking about, but some were writing books, some were uh, studying to become coaches or had already become coaches. Um, other people asking questions like, well, how do I get going on a side hustle? How should I be thinking about it? So th- there was a variety, but definitely um, people indicating that they were inspired. And a lot of people, and this helps in terms of making the post be one that's popular or at least um, getting in front of a lot of people is there was quite a bit of tagging in the comments as well, where someone would tag someone else and say, check this out, because perhaps they're working on something together and and you know, they wanted their, you know, their, their partner in their new business or whatever the case might be to, to sort of be inspired as well. Um, so that, that would, I would say that would be the big thing. Now this, this brings up another point, Tom, and this, this gets back to like, why does a post gain traction in the LinkedIn algorithm? So this is one, and, and I tried to do this with all my posts, which is the, the, at least as far as I can tell, and certainly I think others have made this point, which is that much of the reach of your post is determined by what happens in the first hour after you post it, right? The LinkedIn algorithm is go- is trying to detect whether this is a high quality post worth sharing more broadly in your network. And it seems to really weigh heavily on what happens in the first hour. So as a post creator, as a, as a content creator, one of the things that you wanna try to do is to the extent that people are jumping into your comments on your post, in that first hour, immediately try to engage with them, try to keep the conversation going. Um, because the more comments you can get, the more signal you're sending to, to the LinkedIn algorithm that this is a post worth sharing. So, so that's another kind of tip related to uh, broadening the reach of your content, which is to, to really engage, especially in that first hour. I try, to, I try to engage with every substantive comment made on any post I write, but I'm really active in the first hour. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that. And I was actually going to bring that up, but I, I always like to say I'll sound like a broken record, but there's, I think there's two, two things that you're trying to service in all of your marketing, or not sorry, all of your LinkedIn activity. One is the algorithms and the other is the humans that are you're interacting with and the effect of what you do in terms of responding to comments serves both of those masters, right? Because it, it sends those signals to LinkedIn that this is an active post with a lot of engagement, but I got to believe that the people who take the time to respond to one of your posts with a comment and then hear back from you, I think you're, you're getting some currency out of that as well. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I think that when you take the time to respond to someone and not just with a, a thanks and you know you move on to the next one, but you actually address their post, that's going to be someone who's going to be much more likely to continue to engage with your content. Um, they're going to, you know, certainly when they see you in their feed, they're probably going to uh, want to, you know, read what you wrote, uh, probably be more likely to react to your posts in the future. And, and oftentimes, you know, especially if those are people who aren't first degree connections, you know, connect with you on the platform or follow you as well. So yeah, there's definitely some benefit to that. And you never know where that goes. I mean, I've had several interesting conversations with people, um, somewhat, you know, some might turn into new business as a result um, of just new people I've met as a result of that single post. So there are, there are some real substantive benefits um, to that other, in other instances, people want to talk about that topic on, you know, a video, a YouTube video series they're doing or on a podcast. So, so engaging with them through the comments um, really does just uh, get the conversation going and, and oftentimes takes it offline as well, which is what you really want to do with LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, I, I also see this as a snowball effect too, because it seems as though people just like in re the real world, people want to go where the action is. Mm -hmm. And so where you see a post come up into your feed and you see hundreds of comments, you know, that something's going on here and you want to be a part of it for two reasons. One is I think you want to just see what is this going on? What can I learn from this post? It's obviously got some value to it, but I think the smart people who are understanding how LinkedIn works, they also then want to put a comment in there so that they're, you're almost subscribing to that post now, because now anytime somebody else comments, you'll get a notice that say, you know, Joe Schmo commented on a post you're following or whatever. So there's reason, there's incentive for people to kind of get onto into this, this party, this cocktail party, as a lot of people put it. Yeah, yeah. And I would say also this, um, which is uh, my, my sense is, and, and I think this is true for, in, in conversations I've had with other people as well. Uh, you, you have a tendency, people have a tendency uh, that want to be visible on LinkedIn to comment on people's posts who, when they think that that person's posts get traffic, right? Yeah. They get a lot of views, they get a lot of comments. So it's like comments beget comments. And then next thing you know, you might write something and, and then people jump in to comment immediately because they want to pop up as the first comment on a post that they perceive as maybe one that's going to be widely viewed. So there is this snowball effect or flywheel effect to, to creating engagement on your posts such that the next time you post, they people want to get in on that party to use your uh, your metaphor right and yeah. maybe i'll mix the metaphor but one further element of the flywheel is that i notice the people on whose posts i engage 
those are always at the top of my feed the next time I logged into LinkedIn because LinkedIn understands who I interact with. So frankly and candidly, you're always at the top of my list because you're my business partner, you're my friend, and I probably would comment on things uh, just because you're a swell guy. I do it because the content's good though. I also do it frankly because <laughs> I get a lot of LinkedIn connection requests from attorneys, um, probably because I'm at the cocktail party. But the point right. being is that if you are doing what you just did and you can get that engagement, all of those people that you're trying to get in front of, the next time that they open up LinkedIn, you're more likely to be at the top of their feed, which is where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and the nice thing is too, when because the people with um the 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 people that have large followings on LinkedIn, they, they got they got those followings because they followed this strategy, right? They they got into the conversation on high view, high engagement posts. And so some of those people uh, in our space, in the, in the legal industry, uh, were jumping into the comments on that post. And so I, I definitely engaged with them, uh, maybe gave them some special attention uh, <laughs> because what I was trying to do was facilitate a relationship uh, such that, you know, we, we can, A, I want them to continue to pay attention to what I'm doing. And because when they do, it, it surfaces that content for many more people. And then in a couple instances, that conversation went a little bit deeper. And it, uh, there's there's people who are going to be appearing on our podcast in the coming weeks who I I only came to know as a result of them commenting on that post. And I, you know, sort of gently steered the conversation in a direction and, and invited them on the podcast and and they'll be they'll be appearing in the coming weeks. So so there are there's more to that cocktail party going on in the comments than just, you know, pl pleasant exchanges. That's where you really want to be developing relationships. Yeah, you've sort of addressed this, but I was going to try to to stump you with a trick question and see how you answered it. And I hope that you answered it the way that I'm intending when I pose the question, which is so what do you get out of this, right? So you write a, a post about John Grisham. It has nothing to do with what you sell, right? You don't sell books. Well, you do sell books, but you don't sell John Grisham books. Um, you don't, uh, we didn't get, did we get all kinds of client work out of this, right? So the reason I asked this sort of tongue in cheek is because just to set people's expectation, uh, what do you hope to gain from this? What should people hope to gain from it? Because if they're, uh, if they're pursuing everything through the prism of this better grow my business tomorrow, they're going to do it the wrong way. They're going to peddle their wares. They're not going to offer th interesting points of conversation. So talk through, you know, January 1st, you're writing a post. What's going through your mind? What do you hope to gain? Yeah. Well, you you are really getting to the bottom of it, Tom. And, and this is what, you know, I, this is a direction I wanted to take this conversation because, you know, this post, um, yeah, there, there are some, there are some, you know, immediate benefits I can, I can point to from it, but, uh, really at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be just another post, uh, 364 days after this post went up and, uh, but it's, but the collective effort, the collective investment from all of that will, result in lots of new connections and lots of new relationships, lots of new opportunities. I'm confident of that. Um, this one post in isolation, you know, like I said, some, some, some marginal benefits, but it's the, it's the collective effort over time. It's like, a it's like making deposits into your 401k account. Right. Um, and, and some days there'll be big market gains and some days there'll be the market will be down a little bit, but over time, you know, that tends to go up and, and you need to be invested 
to realize those benefits. And I think the same thing goes for for these these LinkedIn posts. The idea is you are you are remaining visible, uh, you're remaining top of mind, so that people in your network think of you um, for you know work when it's coming up. Um, they understand when they understand what you do because you've really refined your profile and you've you've kind of built your brand on the on the platform by consistently focusing and creating content that relates to what you do. Um, you're building connections with people in your industry of focus uh, as opposed to just having no intentional network building strategy around it. Um, so there's not, you know, there's no real benefit to to writing a viral LinkedIn post other than maybe just as a reinforcing mechanism to encourage you to do more of the activity that generated that single result. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're probably too humble to say this, but uh, here's how I, if I were Jay Harrington, here's how I would have answered the question because you're a giver on LinkedIn. You're not a seller. You're not a taker. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody asked Jay Harrington, what did you hope to gain out of that post? Smart ass. Jay Harrington would say, it's not what I was hoping to gain. It's what I was hoping to give. And if you approach LinkedIn with what do you hope to give, then it's going to have the effect that you want, which is ultimately you want people to trust you to like you to, in this post case, to be inspired by you because people have told me, uh, I don't know who this is attributable to. Maybe you do because you're the quote master, but they say, you know, people will, won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And a post like this, people are going to walk away and think, they're going to remember that they were inspired by Jay Harrington to finally do something that they've long wanted to do. So I just wanted to commend you on that approach. And I think it's, that's a copy and paste for anyone listening is take that approach of not what do I hope to gain, but what do I hope to give? And then all of the things that you want to gain will naturally come back to you in your words through serendipity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it really is. I mean, if you have a, if you have it, people always, ask, well, what should I be writing about? And it's like, you know, they don't, they don't feel like they have that much going on in their, their life or career to write about. And it's like, well, um, you, you really don't necessarily want to center your content strategy around you as a person necessarily. Um, there can be some th interesting things you can share. And oftentimes those are ones that are more lessons of failure as opposed to, you know, your, your shiny wins, but it's really about approaching the platform from a, an abundance mindset, coming to the platform with generosity and, and sharing your ideas with the, with the genuine hope that you're helping people. Because we, we all should know by now that that's how good things happen, as you said, Tom, which is when you, when you give and share, um, then you know, people reciprocate. Uh, and it's not because you're asking them to, but it just naturally happens that way. Yeah, absolutely. What else about this? particular post stands out to you. And I should mention that this was not an outlier. So it's, well, it was somewhat of an outlier, but I've noticed in the last 30 to 60 days, you know, you've shared with me that you're personally committing to LinkedIn. We've had guests on the podcast who have demonstrated, you know, if you have a daily commitment to writing LinkedIn posts that you will see everything just completely grow and potentially even skyrocket or go viral. But um, a lot of your posts are getting a lot of comments. I don't know what the views are like, cause I can't, I don't have access to that, but a lot of engagement, a lot of comments. Comments. So this is um, maybe an outlier in terms of the scale to which it went viral, but it's certainly, it's, I think it's more representative of what you've been doing as opposed to just being an anomaly. So what else do you, can you share with us in terms of the anatomy of a great LinkedIn post that we should share with our listeners? Um, yeah. I mean, there are some, there are some guest best practices. Um, one thing though, is I, you know, I am, I am a, 
poor judge of what's going to perform well on LinkedIn. I've, I've come to that conclusion. And I think it's an important one because then I don't, I don't really put any pressure on myself. Cause I know, you know, I don't, if I don't think something is, is a particularly good post, I post it anyway. And, and the platform oftentimes proves me wrong. And the opposite is just as true as, as often where I think something sounds great and I'm confident that people will resonate with people. And then it's just crickets. But in any event, that's, that's probably a lesson I've learned by doing more of this activity, which is the more you do it, the less, you know, attached you become to any particular post. So you just, you just write and post and, and hope for the best and, and not get worked up if, if, uh, if it doesn't perform well. Um, you know, there, there, like I said, uh, the, the idea of having a strong first sentence, that's key. Um, the idea of writing in a very, you know, I, I try to think of what Malcolm Gladwell, another, um, author obviously, uh, teaches, which is try to write at, an eighth grade reading level. And that's how he aims to write his books. And that's how I try to write my posts as well. Um, mm-hmm. If I, you know, I, I write, I read them, I read them aloud. If they sound, you know, if I'm using words that are complicated or by too many commas in a sentence, you know, I just rewrite that section because I want it to be very simple and straightforward. Um, and then, yeah, making sure that, you know, you've got some some tangible, actionable takeaway. Like, why are you writing this? Why why should people care? You need to deliver that in the post um, for people to want to engage with it. Um, so, and then again, like, I'll just, re- I know I'm saying a lot of things that are just reinforcing things I've already said, but um, definitely engage in the comments and and try to get the conversation going. And, and I will add this, Tom, because this is, I think this is important maybe for people to think about as far as like the opportunity, like why, again, why are we doing this? Um, the reason that I'm treating LinkedIn now as my blog, meaning this is the first place that I'm posting any idea as opposed to thinking about posting and I, you know, writing something for our website or for some other website that I write for. Um, it's because it's the best environment to share content right now. Uh, there, cont- uh, LinkedIn is a uh, what's called a content deficient platform, meaning there are just a tiny number of people who are consistently sharing content on the platform relative to the number of people who are viewing content on the platform. I think the statistics break down something like this. There's like 750 million users or, or profiles on LinkedIn. There's maybe around 300 million active users on LinkedIn. And that's defined as like someone who's going on and doing something on the platform every week. Mm -hmm. And I think there's then 1% of those people, of those active users who are consistently creating content on the platform. And I think that's defined as like posting once a week. Um, So there's a huge arbitrage opportunity for any content creator to get on the platform and, and create more content because you've got a captive audience just waiting to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I wonder if that 99%, 99%, you know, the rest of us who aren't, I shouldn't say us, because I, I try to post every day, certainly every week, but the people who aren't, maybe they are getting hung up on, you know, trying to to create the, you know, the Mona Lisa of posts all the time. And even going back to the example that we're talking about, John Grisham probably looks back at his first book, and I bet he's not even proud of it. It's a great story, trust me. But it's very common, you know, like uh, Don Brown, Angels and Demons did nothing until Da Vinci Code went viral. So the whole point is that, you know, yes, you need to create a content strategy, and that will take some work at the beginning, because I don't think you should just riff all the time. But 
you shouldn't get overly hung up with the composition of the perfect post. It's like, uh, I also think of the songwriters who say, oh yeah, my number one hit that went platinum, you know, uh, every breath you take by the police. That took me 15 mm-hmm. minutes. I wrote it on the kitchen table. It's not yep. a very good song. Right. But yep. <laughs> back to your point, right. It's that you can't overthink it. Once you get the strategy right at the beginning, which I know you've done, don't overthink the day-to-day post because all it will do is create writer's block and you don't need that. It's it's not a place of perfection. It's a place of conversation and maybe imperfection at times. Yeah, right. And, and that that's the benefit of doing it more often. Again, like I said, you you just you just place less importance on on any single post you write because you've got a lot of posts out there and who cares? You've got a volume of work that that, you know, is as Seth Godin likes to say, you know, the only reason he has good ideas is because he has so many bad ones. And that's true. I think that we, we remember, you know, people's hits. We'd often don't, don't t- think about their misses. And, and, you know, ideally the content creator doesn't either. So. Yeah, exactly. It, I, at the end of the day, it's the audience that's going to make something go viral or not. You know, you can't sit down going back to the songwriter analogy. You don't go back and say, well, this is, I'm going to write this one to be a number one hit. I'm going to write this one to be a top 40, but maybe around 33 or so. And then this one I'm writing to be an obscure B-side. You just don't do it that way, right? right so totally. you, can't, you can't go into every post thinking, all right, how do I make this go viral? No, just be the giver, you know, be authentic and let the market figure out what your great content is. And then pay attention, as you say you're doing, listen to the signals and then give them more of that. Yeah. Yeah. You can learn a lot by observing, like whatever niche you're in, like you, I, we have a lot of listeners who are not lawyers, even though we, we, contextualize things for lawyers, but um, find the people who are creating the high engagement posts within your field and just study what they're doing. I mean, I think that's a great starting point for anyone who wants to create content, not to model yourself after them per se, but like you'll, you'll notice some similarities. If you look at two weeks worth of their posts, you'll see some of those signals uh, that you can identify within their posts as to what they're doing and, and pick up some of those best practices and, and you'll learn from your own experience as you do it more. Yeah, you could be the LinkedIn equivalent to at least at first as a face looker, you know, not a Facebooker, but a face looker, just kind of observe, but make start injecting yourself into the conversation and start realizing how other people are doing what, what people like to talk about what people like to read about. So, all right, anything else about either this post or LinkedIn in general, you want to leave our listeners with? Um, no, only to say that, you know, we're, we're, I guess I'll just sort of preview the fact that we're going to have much more to say about LinkedIn in the in the coming weeks and months. So just have everyone stay tuned for that, including some opportunities to dive deeper on this topic with us. So um, yeah, I think that's it for the moment, though. Um, just you know, if you if you uh, if you want to be on the platform uh, and be more active on it, you know, like I said, observe, um, start dipping your toe in the water, get out there, create. Um, certainly, we welcome you to invite uh, to connect with with uh, Tom, you and I, and and we would love to uh, see what you're doing on the platform. So don't be afraid to connect with us. Yep. And you can find links uh, in the show notes. If you're listening, you want to know how to get a hold of us. Well, with that, Jay, I think I am off to go plan my second novel, because as you just illustrated, my first novel was never going to go anywhere to begin with. Right, right. But the next one is going to be the one that really yep. shoots me to the moon. So, yep, all right, I yep. just got to come up with an idea. All right. Love well, it. Thanks. This is good, Jay. I appreciate you kind of lifting the uh the the, uh, the hood a little bit, letting us see under the hood. And and uh, I think this is helpful. It's really, you know, you break it down into digestible parts and gives people something to think about and to emulate. So thanks cool. again. Yeah. But thanks everyone else to, uh, for listening to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. We will be back next week with a new episode and a guest. So see you then. Thanks everybody.
Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com. 